It was a, it's a privilege to be here. Um, we just moved here for the winter um, from Detroit area, and it's the greatest winter of my life. I love Florida. I can't believe there's no snow. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And, and Jim and Angela and Ann and I did, a, I don't know, how many years ago was it? We did the Weekend Remember 2019. And here's what I love about Jim Davis, and you already know this. When he preaches, he preaches with two things I love, passion and joy. Am I right? I mean, he's always smiling. I mean, always smiling. There's joy, and I think the Word of God is alive, and it should be preached with a fervency because it's true and it's real. But I also think people should be smiling. because I mean, there are times when it's hard truths that you got to hear, but it's, it's full of joy. And so it is, it is really a, a privilege to be with you today. They, they did, uh, you know, Friday night and Saturday, they talked about marriage. I wasn't here, but I can tell you this. Um, marriage is awesome. Relationships are incredible, Right? Okay, that's what I thought. Um, it's, it's really great. It's awesome. But at the same time, relationships and marriage is really hard. Am I right? I'll probably get a bigger amen on that one than that it's awesome. Uh, Ann and I have been married 41 years. And if you know anything about our story, and they, and they shared some of it yesterday, I guess, um, it was awesome for about three hours. And then it got really hard immediately. In fact, I was literally speaking yesterday in New Hampshire at a men's event, and this guy came up to me. So I was talking about a little bit about marriage, and he goes, dude, I can't believe how honest you were about your marriage. Our marriage is really hard. We're in trouble. We sort of hate each other. And I'm like, how long have you been married? He goes, six months. I'm like, what? Six months? And then I smile, and I go, dude, that's normal. He goes, What? I go, my wife said at the six-month mark, marrying you is the biggest mistake of my life. She literally said that. And it's hard. It really is. I mean, you go into marriage and, uh, or into any relationship, but especially you go into marriage sort of thinking it'll be awesome, it'll be wonderful. Ann and I went to the Weekend to Remember that we speak for now for 30-plus years that Jim and Angela speak for as an engaged couple two weeks before our wedding. We went to it, and we sat there the whole weekend with like 500 couples. They're all taking notes because they're married, and we sat there and thought, we don't need this. We really did. We hardly took any notes. We love each other. We love Jesus. We're going into ministry. It'll be easy. Six months later, she says, biggest mistake of my life. But it's interesting. You go into marriage with these idea that it's going to be wonderful and awesome. And trust me, it is. I'm happier today than I could ever imagine 41 years in, but it's work. But you go in thinking, anybody know John Legend? Remember this song? All of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. Anybody know that song? Yeah. Well, that's what you sing before you're married. And then you're married a little bit and you're like, half of me <laughs> loves none of you. Uh, all your quirks and accusations makes me want to take a vacation. I mean, it's like... It's like, it's just really, really hard. So here's what I thought. As Jim and I talk, you know, what they've talked about all weekend, let's talk today about the purpose, the mission of marriage. And that starts for me when I was a junior in college at the most incredible university in all of the nation. I played quarterback at Ball State University. Anybody? Anybody heard of it? 
Yeah, it's up in Muncie, Indiana. I only went there because they gave me a full ride to play football. Anyway, so I'm not a follower of Christ until my junior year. I, I grew up in a home with two alcoholic parents, adultery and divorce when I was seven. And my mom, my single mom, dragged me to church a little bit, but I just thought... I can't believe in a God who would let that happen. And then my little brother dies of leukemia six months after the divorce, and I checked out. And my mom made me go to church, but when I got to college and I was on my own, I never went back again. All that to say, and I'm not going to get into my testimony, but uh, going into my junior year, I'm empty, even though I just led the nation in passing percentage and had all the stuff I was dreaming of. I was completely empty. I find out the gospel's true, and I give my life to Christ, and I'm a brand-new Christian. And so my story sort of starts in a ballroom in Chicago uh, at Christmas break. The guy who was discipling, discipling me on the Ball State campus said, you need to come to the crew uh, Christmas conference. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They do a Christmas conference. Jim obviously knows. Uh, at Christmas time for college students. I'd never been to a Christian retreat in my life. And I'm like, I'm not going to this thing by myself. There's no way. And so I talked my roommate, who's not a Christian, into going. You know how I talked him into it? I said, I'll pay your way. I'm on a full scholarship. I got some money. I'll pay your way. He said, yes. I talked my girlfriend, who's not my wife, who I've been dating for four years. We're getting married in a year. She's not a Christian. Again, I'm brand new, and I'm trying to lead her to Christ, but she's not that interested. I paid her way. So we went. We're sitting in the back a back row of a, ball, uh, of a ballroom of about 1,500 to 2,000 college students on New Year's Eve. And this is the last session of the conference. And they said, we're going to pray in the new year. And I remember walking down there going, we're going to what? Who prays in the new year? You party. You know, I'd always been at a party and I'm a quarter. So I'm drinking. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. But I had never done this, right? So we go. And again, we sit in the very back of row a big ballroom and they introduce a guy I'd never heard of before they said uh, the guy who's going to give the last keynote message is the founder and president of Camp Shave for Christ that was what it was called back then Bill Bright now many of you know Bill Bright I had never heard who he was and he walks on stage and he walks up and he says these words I'll never forget it he said I'm going to speak to you tonight on the greatest words ever spoken by the greatest man who ever lived at the greatest moment of his life and he said, stand as I read the Great Commission. And I'm in the back going, what's the Great Commission? What's he talking about? And he read what we just looked at, Matthew 28, where Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, gives the mission for the church. And I'm going to tell you today, it's also the mission for relationships in your marriage. It is our mission. That's why it's called the Great Commission. I had never heard these words before. You know, and I'll read them to you again. It says, Jesus said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, this is, this is his deathbed words. He's going to ascend to the Father. So he's like, of all the things you need to know, this is more, most important. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He, he preaches that, that sort of sermon. And here's how Bill Bright ends that night. You can imagine, 2,000 college students. He said right then, he said, if you're willing right now, you know, we're seated back down for about a 30-minute message. He said, but if you're willing right now to say to God, I will go, I will do, I will be whatever you call me to be. I will make disciples. I will fulfill the Great Commission. If you're willing to say to God right now, I want you to stand up and say, I'm all in. 
And I'm sitting in the very back, you know, and I'm like, who? Who's going to stand up for that? The whole room stood up. I mean, it was like, whoop. You know, and I'm sitting there, and I look. My girlfriend stands up. And I sort of look at her like, uh, I don't know how, how honest I should be in this moment, but a few hours before that meeting, just that's all I need to say. Parents, you know what I'm going to say. We were not obeying what God wants us to do. But then my, my roommate stands up. And I'm sitting there looking at these two guys, my girlfriend and my roommate, like, what are you guys doing? And I'm thinking the peer pressure. The whole room standing up there. And I got to tell you, I'm sitting there wrestling with this. Can I say right here, right now, I am willing to give God everything and go and do anything he wants? And I decided, no. You know why? Because my view of God at that time was God, when he gets all of you, does horrible things. Like he's going to make you a missionary. And he's going to send you like this God-forsaken place like Detroit or something. You know, it's just like... That's what God's going to do. So I did not stand. I could not stand with integrity. I could not stand. And I'll never forget, probably five months later, I drove from Ball State University to Bowling Green University in Ohio, where my girlfriend was a student, to surprise her. And again, we hadn't set a wedding date, but we're getting married in about a year. And I surprised her. I had a key to her dorm room, and I walk in, and I catch her with another guy. And as soon as I saw that image, I knew she was not the girl I thought she was. I had, there are all kinds of signs that that was true. I got in my car. I'm driving 30 minutes home to my hometown of Finley, Ohio, where my single mom was, bawling the entire drive because my life was shattered. This knee had just had surgery, and I wasn't sure if I was going to get to play my senior year. You can probably tell I still can't straighten it. And everything that I had held on to just poof. I'll never forget, I walk in my house, I'm crying, my mom looks at me and goes, are you okay? And I go, mom, I can't talk right now, I need a minute. I walk right into my childhood bedroom, I close the door, I went right over to my childhood bed, I got on my knees just like this, and I go, all right, I'm all in. I'm all in. I didn't stand in a ballroom five months ago, but I'm kneeling right now, Jesus, you got everything. I'll give you everything. Everything I've held on to, football and my girlfriend, I realize is a waste. I will go, I will do, I will make disciples. I don't know what that even means, but I'm all in. I actually, I actually think, honestly, that was my conversion moment. You know, there's people that have the theology of, can Jesus be your Savior but not your Lord? I personally believe, no. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. He's either the boss or... And so I think I was a Christian before that. I really wasn't. That was the moment I said, I'm all in. That's what it means to follow Christ. You don't hold on to anything else. But I, I, I almost don't want to tell you this, but i got to be honest. What happened at the end of that prayer, again, I'm on my knees, and I pray that I'm all in, and then I said, Lord, I don't know a single Christian in, this, in my hometown. I didn't really go to church anywhere, and there was a girl that I sat beside at a basketball game right before that Christmas conference, and all she did the entire game was share Christ with my buddy's brother and she would tap me on the shoulder every once in a while and say hey I, Dave I know you're a Christian help me out here and I'd share with and I remember thinking wow that girl is on fire I knew her because her dad coached me and her brother was my center in high school and I was a quarterback so I knew her about her she's younger sister so I literally you won't believe this I'm on my knees and I say I'm all in and God I don't know anybody I need somebody to help me grow would you bump me into Ann Barron Ann Barron can help me grow the next morning I pick up my high school kicker buddy. We have a painting business. 
summer business. And uh, we're going to paint my grandma's house. And as we're driving to my grandma's house, I tell Greg about what I did the day before. I said, Greg, I gave my life to Christ. I prayed, surrendered everything, and I even prayed to bump into Ann Barron. You know what he said? He goes, you're not supposed to pray for yourself. I go, I don't know what you're supposed to pray, but that's what I prayed, okay? He goes, wait, Dad, I'm not sure God, and whatever. We had this conversation. We're driving by the high school, and Greg says to me, hey, let's stop and say hi to Coach Jones, our high school football coach. I go, no, 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 it's my grandma's house. You can't be late to paint your grandma's house. We're not stopping. No, let's stop. No, we're not stopping. So we're driving by the school. He literally, the reason I'm telling you this, you'll know in a minute, he grabs the steering wheel and whips it into the turning, into the parking lot. So I'm like, okay. We'll go in there for a minute. We talked to Coach Jones for a minute. We're walking out to the car. I'm with Coach Jones. Greg's in front of us about 10 feet. And all of a sudden, Greg goes, oh, my God. Use the Lord's name in vain. And he makes us look up. I go, what? He goes, look. And we look on the tennis courts, and there's Ann Barron hitting the tennis ball with her mom, with her back to us. I can't believe that God just answered my prayer. Either can Greg. And so I just stand there. And Greg hits me like, dude. Dude, <laughs> yeah, he's like this. And so I go, hey, so when are we going to play? And she turns around and she goes, how about tomorrow? Let's just say we never played tennis. We sat at the tennis court with our rackets in our bags, and we talked about Jesus for three hours, and nine months later, we were married. Not nine months because we had to be. I'm just, it just was nine months, okay? And we started a journey to follow Christ and make disciples that has transformed our lives for 41 years. And I didn't know this till later, but the same day I'm praying to surrender everything to Jesus, if she was here, she would say the same night in a Whirlpool factory, she surrendered everything. And at the end of her prayer, she said, and God, would you bump me into Dave Wilson? He seems like he's on fire for Christ. Now, I'm not saying all you single guys just went, oh, so that's the formula. You pray and you meet a hot woman. I'm not saying that. But God brought us together. And 41 years ago, we started on a journey to make disciples. Now, here's what we didn't know. How does God want us to do that? Here's what we learned at the Weekend to Remember as an engaged couple. Like I said, we didn't listen all weekend, but I remember, and we did, but we didn't really take great notes, but what I remember is one thing. And I'm sure this is what they talked about yesterday as well. Marriage is not about our happiness. God never designed it that way. Of course, hopefully there's happiness in our marriage. He has a much bigger mission, much bigger purpose. He wants to use our marriages and all our relationships to reveal himself to the world. That's what he wants to do in your marriage. And so many couples come up to us often after our vertical marriage book came out, and they come up and they say, hey, you know, we mar I married the wrong person. I'm like, why do you say that? Because I'm not happy. You know, I thought this person, you know, we have a term for it. The one would make me happy, and they're not happy. And here's what we say to them. No, no, no. That was never the, the, the purpose of marriage. And by the way, if you're trying to find happiness, you're looking in the wrong place. You didn't marry the wrong person. You're looking in the wrong place. You're not going to find happiness here. You're going to find happiness here. That's what, mean, that's what it means to go vertical. When you find life here, then you come back to your marriage. You're not as a taker anymore. You've got to give me what I want to be happy. You're a giver. And then you become a partner in a sort of like a soldier, two soldiers going into battle together to reveal to the world who God is 
through our marriage. It's, it's really, that's the purpose. It's so much bigger. When you pull it back, and you go, what does God want to do? He wants to do something in a husband and a wife together so that they will. It's right here. It's literally right here on the cover of your, your bulletin. This, this church exists to grow in Christ, bless our city, and send to the world. That is the purpose of a church. It's also the purpose of your marriage. I, I heard a quote years ago. I, it's been attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not sure if it was him or not because I've seen that. Maybe it was. It wasn't his, but it's so true. He said the two most important days of your life. Anybody heard this one? The day you're born and what? The day you know why. And here's what I found out. Most people do not know why they're alive. I know, and I just told you, you're alive after you come to Christ for what? To make disciples. It's the great commission. Every moment of our life, every event we're in, God says, I don't just want to bless you. I want to bless others through you. Will you let me use your life? Will you let me use your marriage to send you to make a difference in others. That changes the ballgame. You wake up every day on mission. It isn't like, oh, what am I going to do today to be happy? And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with happiness. I want to be as happy as the next person. But you wake up every day like, whoa, whoa, wait, I'm in, an, I'm in a war? There's a spiritual battle going on for my neighbors and for the people I work with? God wants to use me and our marriage to impact them. He wants to send us to be a blessing to them, to reveal to them who God is. yes. That's the purpose of your life. That's the purpose of your marriage. Single person, married person, doesn't matter. That is our purpose. Now, uh, as Jim said, I've, I've pastored for 30 years, and if there's anything that I got known for at my church, I would say this many times. It's a statement I just sort of developed over the years, and I wanted people to get it because I think this is the mission of what we're about. So I would always say these words. Make a dent where you're sent. I'm a preacher. It's got to rhyme, right? You got you to make it so you say it. So it's make a dent where you said The first time I ever preached it, I actually had a mailbox on there, you know, talking about sin, and I hit it with a hammer, you know, make a dent where you're Anyway, that was stupid. But I'm trying to make the point of where God wants to, you and I to make a dent, to make an impact wherever he sends us. Now, I got to be honest, I don't know what you'll think of this, but the first time I sort of got that idea in my head, I was watching the movie Tommy Boy. Anybody remember Tommy Boy? Yeah, Jim even laughed. So, okay, your pastor watched, watched it maybe one time. Anyway, you remember when uh, he runs into the, the glass, he goes, that'll leave a mark. Remember that? That'll leave a mark. It hit me right then. It's like, that's what we're called to do, not run into the glass, but leave a mark. And let me tell you, there are so many followers of Christ that never make a difference anywhere. They're all about themselves. They're all about happiness. They're all about finding their own life. God wants you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this church, in this city, through your life, through your marriage, make a dent where you're set. Now, let me tell you, I say that so many times at our church. People start to come up to me and they go, hey, hey, so we know where you're sent. You know, it's easy, like missionaries and pastors, they are sent ones. They're called by God and God sends them, sometimes to countries or cities or church. He goes, but I'm just a, you know, normal guy, a normal woman. I don't know where I'm sent. And so I'm like, oh, how do I help them understand this? So I came up with this profound statement. I notice nobody's taking notes. You better write this down. This is profound. You won't believe how profound this is to help you and I understand where we're sent. So make a dent where you're sent. Where are you sent? You are sent. You writing this down? You are sent where you are. Whoa. You're like, dude, that's not profound. Of course it's not. It's simple. But 
it is true. If you are a follower of Christ, and if you're not today, this is what's available and offered to you. But if you're a follower of Christ, do you realize you're just as sent as me or Jim or anybody else on staff or leadership here? You are sent to places we'll never go. You have gifts we don't have. You get to talk to people we'll never talk to. I used to tell businessmen and women in my church, I would say, man, I'm jealous of your job. And they're like, no, 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 we're jealous of your job. You get to hang out all day with Christians. I'm like, yeah, it's not as good as you think. Trust me, you get to interact all day with people far from God. That's what we're called to. We're called to be light in darkness. Let me take you to another passage that I'm, I'm guessing you've heard before, probably been preached here before. If you grew up around church, you've heard this. It's part of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 where Jesus gives a long sermon. If you think your preacher takes a long time, Jesus spoke for like a day, all right? So we could be here all day. But, and, and I got to go there. We did a vertical marriage uh, uh, Holy Land tour a couple years ago. It was incredible. 50 couples, and during the day we'd tour the Holy Land. At night we'd talk about marriage, and we got to stand where Jesus gave these words. And you've heard these words, I bet, but you might not have understood them. In the original language, there's, there's a nuance that changes everything. I'll read it to you. Matthew 5 it says, you are the light of the world. How many, how many of you have heard this? It says, you are the salt, you are the light of the world. Look what he says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, again, because we've heard those words before, I think they lose their meaning. You are the light of the world. Stop right there. The disciples and, and the multitude that was listening had to be thinking, wait, 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 no, we're, we're not the light, you're the light. You've already told us you're the light. What do you mean we're the light? What's Jesus doing? He's preparing them. They don't understand us at this point, but he's going to leave and he's going to die and he's going to be gone. He's saying, no, 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 the light that I have is going to be passed to you. You are now going to be the light of the world. And here's what's the nuance. I didn't understand this until I was in seminary. I was studying this decades ago, and I saw this phrase, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the original Koine Greek language, it's a little more precise. It literally means a city strategically placed on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, does that make any difference? Oh, yes, it does. Here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples, and I believe he's saying to any disciple after him. If you're a disciple, he's saying this to you and me. He's saying, your life is not random. I am strategically placing you as light for people that are in darkness. You are my light to the darkness in their life. See, back those days, just like today, they didn't just throw a city up on a hill anywhere. Strategic planners planned. We need a city here because in the valley's darkness, we need light here. We need a place of safety and refuge for people that are in the darkness. We'll put a city here. We need another city. They didn't just throw them up randomly. They strategically placed them. And Jesus is saying, you are strategically placed by me beside people in darkness to shine to lead them to the light. So I know this isn't true theologically, but I like to think of it this way. It's like Jesus is in heaven, and he looks down at you at work. Let's just pretend you work at a workplace, and you're in a cubicle, and he looks down, and he goes, hey, angels, come here, come here, come here. Look, this is my, this is my follower right there, Joe. See him? Yeah. Look, he works right beside that guy there. He, he doesn't know me. I put Joe right there, strategically placed, to reach 
the guy on the other side of the cubicle for me. And you know what Joe says? You know, because God's like, shine, Joe, shine. And we're like, oh, I, don't, I don't even like that guy. Yeah, I know. I know you don't like him, but I love him. And I put you there as light for him. Yeah, I don't like him. The guy drinks and curses, looks at porn. I, I don't like that guy. And, and, and God's like, yeah, I know. He's looking for me. All that's his search for me. You know me. Shine. We're like, no, not, not me. You know, get Pastor Jim or somebody to go in there, not me. No, no, no. God's like, no, no, you don't understand. I put you there. I put you in this Uber car with this guy. I had a conversation the other night with an Uber driver because I, I sat in the back. I'm like, am I just going to drive here? You know, I was born. I know why I was born. I'm, I'm born in here, and I'm not this weirdo guy like, hey, if you don't turn, you're going to burn right now and go to hell. I don't do that. But I start conversations everywhere I am. Why? Because I believe God strategically places us to use us to make a dent where we're sent. I'll tell you what, if you think of it that way, it changes the way you do life, it changes the way you do relationships, changes the way you do your marriage. In fact, it'll take your eyes off your marriage and off your spouse letting you down and to take your eyes vertical and you're like, maybe our mission is bigger than just us making each other happy. And let me tell you, when you serve God by blessing and being a, making a dent where you're sent, your marriage gets better. The best thing you can do for your marriage the best thing you can do for marriage is start, stop working on your marriage. Start serving and blessing others. Start a marriage small group. And I don't know if any marriage in your small group will change, but yours will. It really will. Because God wants us to make a dent where we're sent, where we sent, right where we are. You know, last year, um, on, a, on a Saturday morning, my youngest son, uh, Cody, um, who pastored with me for years and now is doing a ministry up in the Detroit area, um, played college football on a scholarship and got to play two years with the Detroit Lions as a slot receiver. And now he'll train receivers on how to run, rights, run routes. He's a little guy that had to make it by doing everything perfectly. And so when he trains these receivers, guess who he calls to throw the ball to him? It's awesome. I get to go throw to these guys. So this one Saturday morning, he's training this uh, young guy who's going to actually out of Orlando who went to play college football at Brown University. Anyway, we're going to this high school to throw. The field was full. I'm telling you the details because they matter. We end up at this other like small university near our house, different location. And my wife calls and said, hey, I'm bringing Bryce, which is Cody's son, my grandson, to come run around the field while you guys are throwing. Are you guys over here? No, we're not here. We're at this other place. And as we got there, I text her and said, hey, don't park in the parking lot because it's too far away from the field, but there's some dorms right over there. Park over there. You can walk across it. I'm telling you all that because we throw routes. As I get home, Ann says, weirdest thing happened. When I got back to my car, I found this wallet in that dorm parking lot that you told me to park at. There's a wallet laying literally in my, where I opened my thing. And she goes, I looked at it. It's a college student. I'm going to call him. I'm like, okay. I'm, I sit down. I'm watching college football on Saturday afternoon. I hear Ann say this. Hey, uh, Kendall, is that your name? Yeah, I found your wallet. Oh, my goodness, I've been looking all night. Thank you. Uh, and then Ann goes, hey, uh, here's our address. You can come get it. Okay, I'll see you in a minute. Click. And I go, I, I should do this. I walk in the kitchen. I go, you gave some stranger our address? Seriously? She's like, yeah, why not? I'm like, it's a stranger. Why don't we just meet him somewhere? She goes, well, he's coming to his house. And, and she looks at me. And she goes, God's in this. I'm like, what? God's in this. I'm making him some cookies. I'm like, you're making him cookies? <laughs> Like, what are you making them go for? I'm telling you, God's in this. I go, whatever. I go back in. I sit and watch football, and the front door rings, and there's this college kid standing there, Kendall, and he goes, Ann Wilson? And she goes, yeah. Is Dave here? <laughs> and she goes, do I know you? And she goes, I grew up in your church. And I go walking out there, hey. 
He goes, you married my mom and dad. You officiated their wedding. I've been in your church since I was a, you know, a baby. I can't believe you're the ones that found my wallet. Walks in our kitchen. Ann's handing him chocolate chip cookies. And here's what happens. He's talking, and he just can't believe this all happened. And then all of a sudden, he just stops, and he looks at us. And he won't say anything. And I go, Kendall, are you okay? He goes, I just can't believe I'm here. I go, why? He goes, I walked away from my faith this year. He said, I gave up on God. I don't believe in men anymore. I've worked at Christian camps every summer. I have had a vibrant Christian walk, but I just don't believe anymore. And he said, like two days ago, I prayed and said, God, I need a sign. If you're real, you've got to give me a sign. He goes, this is the sign of all the people in the world to find my wallet. You find it. And so as we walked to the front door, we put our hands on his shoulders and we prayed over him. And I'm in tears because Kendall didn't know, but I knew the details of how that wallet ended up by my wife's car. It was, that car was strategically placed by God for that moment. And all you parents that might have prodigals, God's got them. God's got them. I mean, watching Kendall. And of course, as he said goodbye, I turned to Ann. She goes, told you. <laughs> told you God was in this thing. And he certainly was. He strategically places us as his light to people in the darkness. And I want to add one last thought because here's what happens. We, we understand that thought. I'm here on this planet to fulfill the Great Commission. God wants to use me. He wants to use us in our marriage, in our relationship, our church to make a dent where we're sent and where we're sent is where we are. But here's what we do. We think my life's too messed up. My marriage is too far gone for God to use me. He uses good people that are righteous people. He doesn't use messed up, broken people like me. Let me tell you, he loves to use broken people who are redeemed by Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit that we just sang about, and read a catechism about his spirit. The, the literal spirit of the resurrected Christ lives where? Right here in broken vessels. And he wants to use our messed up marriages and lives to make a dent where we're sent. If there was ever a couple God couldn't use, it's us. I mean, as you think about us sitting in a ballroom at the weekend to remember not taking notes because we're going to be fine. I mean, we, it is laughable. My wife comes from sexual abuse. I come from two alcoholic parents and adultery. And I found out from my sister not too long ago, even physical abuse in my own family. That's the couple sitting there thinking, oh, we'll be fine. God's like, oh, boy, everybody, you need me so bad to make this thing work. And then at the 10-year anniversary, which Vertical Marriage is all about, and I guess they showed that at the conference yesterday, Ann says to me, I've lost my feelings for you. We're headed toward divorce. God does a miracle and saves our marriage. And we still thought God's not going to use us. God can't use us. We've messed it up. And God loves, loves to use broken people with broken pain. In fact, I wrote it down this way. God will transform your pain into your purpose. God will transform your pain into your purpose. You're going through something hard, God's going to meet you right there 
And he's going to use this. I love this passage which Paul wrote. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at this. Why does he comfort us? Who comforts us in our affliction so that, that's a purpose statement, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. God will meet you in your pain, and then he's actually going to use that to give you purpose. The reason I have such, and Ann and I have such a passion for marriage is because I came from a broken family and our marriage almost didn't make it. I have a passion. God, use our marriage. Bless us in such a way, not just for us, so that we could be a blessing to others. I'll close with this. I was doing a weekend to remember in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Anybody ever been there? You get off the plane, you can smell chocolate. It's awesome, right? And this was a really big weekend to remember. Before COVID, there was a thousand couples or something. It was a really big one. And, uh, you know, we start Friday night. We end on Sunday right about noon. And I'm getting up to go on stage to do the last talk of the weekend, which is about legacy, which for me is a big one because I am passionate about how God can change your legacy to a new legacy. I came from alcohol and adultery, and it's like the Wilson name changes right here. As for me and my house, Joshua 24, we will serve the Lord. And so I had this passion as I raised my three sons and now six grandkids to change the Wilson legacy. So I'm, you know, walking on stage and I can't wait to give this message that God can use you to change a legacy or continue a godly legacy. And so I look on the, the screen, there's like two and a half minutes before I got to start, there's a little timer going and this guy runs up. I'd never seen him all weekend and he's right down there and he goes, Wilson. And I look at him, he goes, rip up my divorce papers. I go, what? He goes, rip up my divorce papers. And when somebody says that, you know, I'm looking at the clock, like, I got to talk to this guy. So I, I, I jump down on the floor, and I go, dude, tell me your story really quick. Here's what he says. He goes, well, I came here Friday night, and I told my wife, I don't want to go to this stupid marriage conference, but I'll go Friday night. I won't go Saturday, but I'll just go Friday night because you want me to go. And she's like, no, you got to stay. He goes, I'm not going to some perfect marriage conference with some perfect marriage couple speaking about their perfect marriage. I'll go Friday, and then I'm out. And he says, Monday we're going to, to, to end our marriage. These, these are the papers we're going to sign Monday. So he goes, I came Monday, Friday night. I sat way back there in the back. And he goes, you and Ann got up and you talked about your marriage. And I turned to my wife halfway through your talk and I said, wow, our marriage is better than theirs. <laughs> I said, that's what you thought? He goes, yeah, I couldn't believe how honest you were. You were just like, wow, this is where you were. And then yesterday morning, Saturday morning, you got up there and you shared the gospel of how I could give my life to Christ and how Christ is the answer. And he said, right there in the middle of the row, I gave my life to Christ and I surrendered everything to him and God started working in our marriage. And last night we had the greatest talk we've ever had. And this morning I said, we got a new hope. We got a new power. We're going to go home, do a new thing. Rip up these divorce papers. And I said, let's rip them up together. <laughs> And I've got them, well, my backpack's in my car, but I've still got them in my backpack. You know why? Because God wants to use your broken life if you're honest enough to share the pain. Please don't go to church and cover it all up. Don't, do not be a church that everybody puts on the mask. I'm not talking about COVID masks, but the, you know, the mask about hiding our, our lives. Be a church where real people are honest about their struggle and at the same time, find the reality of victory and the power of God in their struggle. I always dreamed at our church in every sermon and every broadcast now that Ann and I do for Family Life Today, I dream and I pray that two things happen every time. One, people listening, whether it's a sermon or a broadcast, will go, wow, they struggle just like me. I didn't think that was, there. they have the same conversation, they've struggled like me. That's one half of it. And some preachers stop right there. That's not where you stop. 
I think the second part is at the same moment they're going, they struggle like me, they go, but they know Christ in a way. They know the power of God in a way. They know the resurrection of Christ in their life and in their marriage in a way I don't know. I got to know that Christ like that. Both should happen because Paul said he meets us in our affliction. He comforts us so that he can use us to comfort others with the comfort which is a name, Jesus, that we've received. And so wherever you are, as a single person, as a married person, as a blended family, whatever it is, God will meet you right where you are. And if you let him, he will help you make a dent where you're sent. He will help you make disciples. The greatest joy of your life, I hope you get to experience this, is to baptize somebody that you were used by God to lead to Christ, maybe even a family. That's your purpose. That's why you were born. And if you and I lived that, there will need to be three or four services in this church because people will come to this place as a magnet because it's full of people that understand their purpose in life is not just about them. It's about being used by God to be a blessing and to be sent to their neighbors who live right beside them. They will follow you here to sit where you are to find out why God created them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. You are the great I am. And Lord, I pray that we could see you more clearly as a God who loves us and has a great purpose for us. You actually... It's amazing. You want to use us right where we are. And so, God, I pray that you would give an individual, a single, a married, a family, a new, fresh vision of who you are and what you want to do in them and through them. May we be used by you to make a dent wherever you send us today. In Jesus' name, amen.